This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Now, we found, we concluded our study last week um, on verse 26, where he says that the Lord shall be thy confidence. And that really, that really sort of bloomed and turned into its own teaching. But we want to pick up with the very next paragraph right after that in verse 27, where he says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. Let me stop right there. And before we continue, there seems to be kind of a recurring pattern that we're finding within the text of our of the book of Proverbs here, where he'll admonish, he'll talk about wisdom, and then he shares some wisdom. And then he'll talk about wisdom again, and then he'll share more wisdom again. And so we sort of crossed into that part in chapter 3 again, right here in verse 27. He begins sharing some very... Uh, nuts and bolts examples of wisdom and how we should treat others and what, how we should behave towards others, not just one another as believers, but towards others in general. He says, withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. And then devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. So in at least two of these sentences, we have another recurring theme here. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. Now some of this seems very common sense, very entry level, common courtesy, how civil people ought to act one towards another. But you have to remember that not everybody's civil. And not everybody exercises common courtesy. And common courtesy, it's like common sense. It's not as common as we think it is. And it's not as common as it ought to be. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. What's that mean? If someone has done well, and it is your particular responsibility to see that they are rewarded for that, don't withhold it. If you own a business or if you're a manager of a business or if you control the payroll or something like that and you've got an employee that's burning up the world for you and that's a good thing, by the way, and they're turning the world upside down for you and they're making you money or they're making things better, they're doing an outstanding job or a very good job, don't give them some lame duck excuse why you can't give them a raise. Amen? So, well, now, if you don't have the money to do it, then that's one thing. Because he says it right here. When it is in the power of thine hand to do it. So it's like parents with children. They've done well. They've been good. Or you just love them. They haven't been bad. There, that's another example. Maybe they haven't been especially good, but they haven't been horribly bad. And so maybe you, that's worth some kind of reward. You know, you do the cost analysis and see, you know, what it's worth to you. Give them what they're asking for if it's not going to harm them or if it's not going to spoil them in, in the way that that actually refers to. We talk, we joke about spoiling our children, but 
Really, that's not a good thing. We want to treat them well, give them what they need, most of what they want, but there's a reason they call it spoiling. It's called that for a reason. You need to give them everything that they want all the time. That's when they're spoiled. You always cut them a break. You never bring the hammer down to straighten them out, so to speak. I don't mean a literal hammer. Please don't do that. Don't withhold good from people that have earned good if it's in the power of your hand to give it. So if you're an employer, be good to your employees if they have earned that. You know, it doesn't mean that you give that you do good to people that have earned a firing or something like that. And we're not saying that. If they've earned it, don't withhold it. And then tying right into that same thing in verse 28, he says, Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. So in this first verse 27, it's withhold not good from those that have earned good. And in verse 28, it's don't even delay. So it's not just don't withhold it, it's don't delay it. Don't put it off. So let's say you borrowed 10 bucks from a neighbor, from the guy, from a guy two houses down on your, on your block or something like that, or, 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 or you borrowed from a person in the church or something like that. They spotted you a five when you, when you came to church and forgot your offering at home, but you didn't want to just let the basket pass you by. And so you're like, hey, brother, you have a couple bucks I can put in the offering. Okay, well then, if you have that money on you next time around, don't delay in paying them back. Or if they have a need and you have the ability to bless or assist, don't put that off because there are people that'll do that. There are people that'll do that. And it's not usually a good motivation behind that. It's usually a motivation of annoyance or of inconvenience when someone is asked or they have a need or they've earned good or something like that and it's either your responsibility or you have the ability to meet that particular need or to bless them somehow to the person then puts them off and saying uh, get with me tomorrow or catch me on sunday or, uh, or something like that well they're putting them off in the hopes that they'll forget he says say not unto thy neighbor go and come again and tomorrow i will give when you've got it in your pocket right here, right now. Why not bless them right here, right now? Or whatever the situation calls for. So this is nuts and bolts stuff, isn't it? This is nuts and bolts wisdom. This is real rubber meets the road Christianity. The next verse he says in verse 29, devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Don't go picking a fight with your neighbor. And that's something my wife and I kind of laugh about because we have a particular neighbor. And praise the Lord, we haven't seen him in a while. And that's a good thing because I don't think that he's necessarily all there. But the very first words that the man ever said to us were of hostility. But for some reason, he saw something or something happened and it just rubbed him the wrong way. And we'd never even met the man. But he came out to where our car was. I waved high at him and then he started chewing us out. Don't devise evil against your neighbor seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Well, what's the wisdom in that? He's living close to you. Don't pick a fight. Don't devise evil against him. He lives right by you. You may have to see him every day. You might have to walk past him every day, depending on where he's situated in relation to your front door or whatever. It, that's just... that's. That's common sense. Don't devise evil against your neighbor. If you're an arsonist or you're planning to torch something, don't torch your neighbor's house. 
it might leap over and burn yours. And the fire department will show up. They'll save his house and yours will burn to the ground. Don't devise evil against your neighbor. Moving on. Next paragraph, verse 30. It says, Strive not with a man without cause if he hath done, if he have done thee no harm. And that ties, uh, that ties into the previous verse a little bit. It's just don't go looking for a fight. Don't go looking for a fight. And for some people, they would never dream of doing that. But for some people, they live for conflict. They have a, t- they have a contentious spirit and they love to get into confrontations with people. They're, um, somewhat over extroverted that way. Introverts aren't real wired up for that sort of thing because they hate confrontation. They'll avoid it at almost all costs. But there's a point where even they can snap and it can become problematic. But he says, Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. In verse 31 he says, Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. And that's one of those where the English is clear, but the meaning isn't entirely clear when we look at it. Envy thou not the oppressor and choose none of his ways. That's clear enough. And it's easy to fall into that trap too. Much more so in other countries perhaps than this, although sometimes here in America as well. And certainly a lot easier in cultures that haven't developed as much as, well, let's just say, but there's no way to say this without sounding possibly conceded for our own country. That's not really where we're coming from. But in less developed nations where oppression is the order of the day, let's just put it that way, where corruption is much more rampant and widespread than it is here, although we have plenty of it here and to spare and to pass around. He says to envy not the oppressor. Well, why would anybody envy the oppressor? Well, because the oppressor is the person that's in a position of strength, right? It's the oppressor who's bullying someone. It's the oppressor who's putting the squeeze on someone. It's the, uh, perhaps during gangland America, Chicago or something like that, where, where you had, uh, crime lords and mob bosses that used to put the squeeze on local businesses to extract, you know, protection money from them. And that still happens in some places. He warns those that are being oppressed, don't envy your oppressor. Just because they're in a place of advantage. And then he tells us why in the very next word. Or in the very next verse, he says, For the froward is abomination to the Lord. Now we talked about that word froward in our first couple studies on the subject of wisdom. Froward, someone who is uh, notoriously difficult to manage or is notoriously uh, against any kind of structure or authority or rules upon their life. These are people that resent authority. These are rule breakers. Rule breakers, the people that do it all the time because they don't want to be governed. He says that the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. What does that mean? His secret is with the righteous. Whose secret? The froward or the Lord's? Well, the Lord doesn't really have any secrets. It's all laid out for us in the Word of God. What's the secret he's talking about? Well, let's read this one more time. Envy thou not the oppressor, choose none of his ways. For the froward is abomination to the Lord. So that serves as both a warning to those that are oppressed. Don't envy the oppressor and don't choose any of his ways. But it also serves as a revelation here where he says, for the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. What's the secret? The froward, the oppressor, the bully, etc. 
They are on the road, except they repent. They are on the road to everlasting scorn and damnation. That's the secret. Why is it a secret? Because the froward does not consider that. The bully doesn't consider that. The oppressor who's drunk on his own power doesn't consider where he's going when he's going to die. And if he does, well, he usually tries to forget about it or distract himself with something, usually by bullying someone else. Who's the ultimate oppressor? Let me ask you that question. The devil. He knows where he's going. So he warns us, though, in this first or in this the, the first sentence of this paragraph. It's only two sentences long, where he tells us not to envy the oppressor and not to choose any of his ways. Well, why would there? Why would he? feel the need to warn us not to choose his ways or not to envy him because it's been proven and it's a matter of historical record throughout human history that when you have a people that have been oppressed when something happens and the tables get turned the ones who were oppressed are just as skillful and vicious at oppressing others as those who once oppressed them and we're seeing some of that come out, play out in our society now. Yeah, it hasn't really gone full tilt yet. I don't know if it will be an informed voter and it won't have to be. But he warns us because if we envy the oppressor, then we're going to be just like him once we get out from underneath the oppression. If we envy the bully, if we envy uh, the person that, that takes unfair advantage of us, if we envy them, then we're going to end up choosing their ways. And then we're going to be either just as bad as them or more than likely, we're going to end up being worse. Well, what, give us a real world example of that. OK, well, let's talk about South Africa, shall we? For just a, a moment, OK, just by way of an example, before we move on to verse 33, South Africa, they had this thing going on for a terribly long time called apartheid. And uh, I don't know much about it because I've never lived in South Africa, but it was international news for a long time as it was uh, coming to the as it was coming to its end. Apartheid, this uh, state-sanctioned segregation of the, of uh, of the ethnicities that were there, the whites and the blacks, etc. And well, apartheid was overthrown, and at first there was a tremendous spirit of forgiveness that ended up prevailing among the blacks that had been oppressed insofar as they had been oppressed. There were, yes, there were some among them that were crying out for blood and for vengeance and for, as we've been talking about and preaching about in recent messages, righteous payback. And what way were they oriented towards? Well, certainly not the transcendent way. Certainly not the way of Christ. They were oriented, that type of a mind and that type of heart's oriented towards the earthly way, the natural way, the eye for an eye and the tooth for, the for a tooth. But cooler heads prevailed among black South Africans and they took upon them an attitude of forgiveness and that they got directly from the Gospels. And they did forgive and I remember reading a news article many years ago about one of the one of the uh, pro-apartheid white leaders that tried to keep the system in place after it had all been overthrown. He made his appearance and he was abject and he was apologetic. And the man to and the 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 South, black South African leader to whom he was apologizing forgave the man. 
And I want to say that they even held a foot washing ceremony, but my memory might be dodgy on that. that that's, a, that's a very Pentecostal practice. It's a good one. It's a very humbling practice, but it's not very widespread. But now look at South Africa. So I think all of this went down. I don't, I don't even remember exactly when. I want to say it went down back in the 90s, perhaps if your memory is better than mine on that, by all means, uh, correct my misunderstanding. But look at South Africa now. Look at what's been going on there for the last year or more. There are white South Africans that are being murdered in their lands being taken by black South Africans that, are, that envied the oppressors and have embraced and chosen their ways. They're acting even worse. Now, I'm not saying that it's all black South Africans. It's not that at all. But there are some, quite a few, and there are those with power, and there's an entire political party that's been organized down there that is calling for extreme actions of taking away everything from white South Africans and just reappropriating it and, and redistributing it and giving it to others. And it's a very serious situation down there. It's a very, very serious situation down there. And it's worthy of our prayers. There are believers there. And even if they weren't, even if it was entirely a heathen nation, it'd be worthy of our prayers. Because who in the world is for oppression? Really, who's for murder and bloodshed, regardless of who's on the side of strength? And regardless of whether it's a racial segregation or a political segregation or even a religious segregation, because look back into our own history. If you look into church history, you find that for the first 300 years or so, the church of the living God was grievously oppressed and persecuted at different points throughout those first 300 years. And they were hunting us down. Look at what they did to us in Rome. Look at what they did to us in other places. And what they continue to do to us in other places throughout the world today. But certainly back then. But then round about the year 300, there was a Roman emperor by the name of Constantine. Almost said Augustine. No, not Augustine. That was a different guy. Constantine. And Constantine brought an official end to that persecution when he ostensibly converted to Christianity, although that's very, very debatable. We're not going to go into all of that. But he brought an end to that persecution. And within the next 200 years, the Roman Empire was Catholicized. And then where did that go from there? Well, they became oppressors. The church, at least of that part of the world, they became oppressors. And anybody that wasn't exactly like them, oh my. If you read about the Inquisitions, not just the Spanish Inquisition, there were other Inquisitions, general Inquisitions that were held here and there. The Spanish Inquisition was by far the worst. Don't envy the oppressor and don't choose any of his ways. Have you been oppressed by anyone? Ever? Well, once you get out from underneath or have gotten out from underneath that oppression, don't turn again and act like the one who oppressed you. And in fact, that was even written into the law of Moses. He wrote that into the law of Moses very, very clearly. He said, uh, I don't remember the precise English of it in the King James, but the message of it, the commandment of it was very clear. Do not oppress or vex the stranger in your land. 
because you were once strangers in Egypt. And isn't that what the Egyptians did to the Jews? Or to the Israelites, rather? To the children of Israel? They oppressed them. They oppressed them grievously. So the lesson there is very short, but it's very, very plain. And it can be very timely. Once you get out from underneath the thumb of somebody that's oppressed you, don't do the same thing to someone else. Even when you're under the thumb of someone who's oppressing you, don't pass it down the line. You see that happen sometimes in dysfunctional and abusive families. You've got a, a perpetually drunk dad that comes home and beats mom. Well, then mom whoops up on the kids because that's the only one that's you know weak enough that she can whoop up on. You know, or 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 they kick the dog or whatever. Don't don't copy that. Don't envy it. Don't copy it. Expunge that from you. Be it far from us as believers to be like this. For he says that the froward is abomination to the Lord but his secret is with the righteous. Let's move on. Verse 33, he says, The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. And you can almost break these up and make them each a standalone teaching, but they tie together. It's why they're in a, a single paragraph. He says, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. And that's something that we need to remember, especially when we are tempted to envy the wicked for any particular reason. And usually that reason is they've got money and I don't. That's usually the first thing that would tempt the heart of a righteous person, or any person for that matter, to envy someone who is wicked. David even wrote of it, I believe, in one of the Psalms. He talked about how he was discouraged when he saw the wicked prospering. He saw people that were not constrained by the law of Moses. They were supposed to be, but they just blew it off. They didn't care. They were not constrained by moral constraints or imperatives. They, weren't, they didn't constrain themselves by the law. They just sinned and they did so openly. And, and by doing so, they gained advantage. And by gaining advantage, they gained wealth to themselves. And so they prospered. And David talked about how I was discouraged when I saw that the wicked were prospering and it really bothered him. It really put him into a battle. But then towards the end of that part of the psalm or, the, or that whole psalm itself, he said, until I entered the house of God. He said, I, 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 was, I was perplexed. I was discouraged when I saw that until I entered the house of God and then I understood their end. And that ties directly into what Solomon is saying uh, in, the, in this previous paragraph where he says, that the froward is abomination, but his secret is with the righteous. Well, that secret was revealed, so to speak, or it, David was reminded of it when he went to the house of God. Okay, so we see the wicked prospering today, don't we? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The dishonest, the corrupt, the people that can, that can be bribed and that take bribes and things like that, we see them prosper and we see them gain power and we, we see them gain influence and we see them gain wealth and all of that. We've been raging against the Clintons for decades now, haven't we? And so much has actually come to light and they're getting ready to actually start an investigation. I've read a couple of headlines recently that, are, that, have, uh, that have talked about that and it's looking like it might actually be something more than talk. Who knows? Why are you bringing politics into this? I'm not bringing politics into this. I'm bringing real world examples into this. And so you see the wicked prosper and it can be discouraging, especially if as an upright person, you find yourself doing without. You find yourself suffering lack 
while everybody around you, even people that might be uh, your peers, at least on a professional level or on a social level, you see them getting ahead. But the Lord's curse is in the house of the wicked. This isn't instructive. This is a reminder. This isn't telling us to do anything. He's just telling us. He's reminding us. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. There's no reason to envy them. So what if they got money? Man, we talked about that lately, didn't we? So what if they've got money? It'll go away. It will burn up. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get to the age now. It's actually kind of cool. I'm digging it. Not because I'm rejoicing uh, at the downfall of others. I'm not doing that. But I'm getting to the age now where people that I saw getting ahead and getting what they wanted and prospering in life who were corrupt and who were evil 25 years ago, people I knew personally, I'm starting to see what they're coming to today and it isn't good. Now, I'm not kicking back and laughing. I'm not doing that. Even in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 1 or chapter 2, I think it's chapter 1, it talks about how wisdom, you know, when you despise wisdom, then in the day of your calamity, wisdom will laugh at you. Okay, It doesn't mean that the believer will laugh at you. It means that wisdom will laugh at you in the day of your calamity. But the Christian, we see that happen, and it just causes us to calculate and assess all the decisions that we've made over the years. And praise God for humility. You don't become high-minded. We don't rejoice at the downfall of others. But it makes you glad that you chose wisdom and that you chose the way of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. So he says that the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but He blesseth the habitation of the just. He blesses it. They're cursed. You're blessed. That doesn't make us high-minded. That doesn't make us proud. Because, you know, well, don't let that happen. You might find a curse coming upon you. But they're cursed. We're blessed. Isn't that worth something? Now, it's not going to pay a bill. I understand that. It's not going to buy a brand new iMac. That's the first thing that came to my mind. Sorry. It's not going to buy you a brand new overpriced computer. It's not going to... It's not, it's not going to it's not going to buy a new house. It's not going to make the mortgage payment. But if he blesses the habitation of the just, don't you think he'll provide? Oh, yes, he will. And David said it. And we need to remember that the man who was writing this portion of the Proverbs, King Solomon, was the son of David who wrote so many of the Psalms. David instructed Solomon. So we laud and applaud and, and, and exalt Solomon for his, for, his, uh, for his tremendous wisdom that he possessed and that he exercised because wisdom isn't just possessed, it's exercised or else it's not really wisdom, it's just whatever, ponging around inside your head. But it was David who taught Solomon and then God who came in on the heels of that and blessed him with tremendous wisdom and so he, he remembered that. So his blessing is upon the habitation of the just. And then in verse 34, he says, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace to the lowly. Well, what's he talking about there? What's a scorner? Well, a scorner is someone who scorns. Well, what is it? What does that word mean? Scorn. Well, it's to hold something and vocalize extreme contempt for it. It's to be very, very verbal in your hatred or your contempt for something or someone. That's to scorn it. 
And those that scorn wisdom and those that scorn God and those that scorn the gospel of Jesus Christ and who scorn the upright path, the, the transcendent way we've been talking about, those that scorn that, and there are a lot of them, God is going to scorn them. The day is coming. The day is coming. And I don't, I don't think I beat that drum too much. I'm not really oriented towards uh, always pounding on about how judgment is coming and get right or get left. And, you know, there's a time for that. And that message is still there. And it's very true. But it's here and we can't ignore it. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace to the lowly. So what, we see our contrast here. The curse, of, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. He scorns the scorners and shame will be the promotion of fools is what he says in the conclusion of this chapter. Shame will be the promotion of fools. But, but then his blessing is on the habitation of the just and he gives grace to the lowly and the wise shall inherit glory. So what we see is The wicked prosper today, but not tomorrow. The time of their reckoning is coming. And today, the wise may suffer, and the lowly may suffer, and, uh, and the habitation of the just. The just may suffer for a while because we're not willing to exercise the same perversions of judgment and, and moral compromises and all of that in order to get by or to get ahead in society. But our day is coming. Our day of blessing is coming. And God sends periodic days and seasons of that sort of thing even now. And sometimes it seems like some believers just get blessings rained on them their whole life. And others, it seems like their way is more of a struggle. And that, and that causes some confusion, but there's no need to because God has a different path laid out for every person. Everyone according to his plan, or I should say every path according to his plan and according to that person. But what we catch here in this concluding teaching of Proverbs chapter 3 is that their day of judgment is on the way, but our day of blessing is on the way. And though sometimes there are things, bad things that befall them now, and sometimes there are good things that befall us now, quite often, to be honest with you, okay? We're talking about the ultimate judgment and the ultimate blessing. Because as we say often enough, this life ends, doesn't it? This life comes to an end. And then it's going to be like he's talked about over and over again. The wicked will depart into judgment and everlasting ignominy. Let's just, let's just put it that way. I'll be delicate with it. But the just, the righteous, the saved, those that love the Lord and that seek after him, we are going to pass into everlasting blessing and everlasting reward. And we cannot lose sight of that. Easy as it is, we cannot lose sight of that. Let's remember to pick our eyes up off the here and now, off the temporal, off the stuff we're trying to buy, off the things that we're trying to accomplish in this life, okay? And let's remember to keep our eyes on the eternal. It's coming. I turned 46 yesterday. So why are you saying that? Because I'm a whole lot closer to glory today than I was when I was 26. I'm 20 years closer. And then another 20 years, I'm going to be 66. Hey, that's all right. That's all right. I just need to take better care of myself now so that when I'm 66, I don't feel like I'm 86. 
We're closer today than we were. Let's not envy the oppressor. Let's not envy the wicked. Let's not do bad to people. Let's really do good to them. So I didn't need to hear this in a Bible study. Well, sometimes it's the basic stuff we need good reminders of. And so let's keep our eyes on the prize. God will bless us in due time. And I think that's a good place to stop for tonight. Maybe we'll pick it up in chapter four next week. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.